the One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. Welcome to episode 14 of the One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. Now we've talked a little bit about ditching tradition and making your day your own before in our episodes on feminist weddings and finding your wedding style. But today we're discussing how to personalise one of the very most important elements of any wedding, the ceremony. And we'll be joined by a very special guest who has made ceremonies her day job. Of course, for a long time, wedding ceremonies in Ireland and many other parts of the world meant either a wedding mass in a church or wherever your house of worship is, or saying your vows at a registry office ceremony. But these days, there's a lot more choice and creativity for when it comes to saying, I do. From the setting and the celebrant to the choice of music, readings and rituals, couples are putting more thought and consideration into the ceremony. Selena, we've been to some pretty gorgeous ceremonies actually over the years. Yeah, it's great now I turn up to a wedding ceremony and I really don't know what to expect. And I mean that regardless of whether they're religious, secular or otherwise. It's really... It's like going to a play that you don't know anything about. It's you know, so it's exciting. Fun. And I always find, even when I know the couple really well, I end up learning something new about them from their wedding ceremony, which is lovely. We should probably give our listeners a bit of a crash course in the choice of ceremonies they have and what exactly they entail. So to me, there are really three categories of wedding ceremony wherever you are in the world. One is religious, but legally binding. Mm-hmm. And that covers multiple religions one is secular and legally binding and that covers many organizations as well and the third is not legally binding which is this kind of ceremony you had claire yeah so i basically had a legal ceremony in a registry office which is actually civil wedding which is a fourth category i guess because that's a representative of the government marrying you whether that's in a registry office or they come out to your hotel or whatever and then on the day of our wedding so the day of the big party we had a ceremony that had the structure of a ceremony but our friend was standing officiating it wasn't legal I know it wasn't legal we had the paperwork done in advance but it meant it was really special and very personalised and very intimate for us and we are laughing but we do hear of couples often who don't realise that the celebrant they have booked is a legal solemniser which can be a really big issue so we do try to stress this all the time that whatever route you're going to go down make sure at some point you get legally married because it's actually easily done that you forget to ensure that that part of things is taken care of In Ireland the HSC has a list and it's very easy it's often updated you can find it on One Fab Day or on the HSC website and it has a list of every single person who's allowed to legally marry whether they're a civil servant a priest a humanist celebrant And if your celebrant is not on that list, then they're not legally able to marry you. And that's very important. Another one to note is to go to register your marriage at least 12 weeks before. Which which, is a requirement in Ireland. It might be slightly different in your region if you're listening from elsewhere. So make sure and look that up. Or if you're having a destination wedding, that's one of the first things you need to do is check out the legalities of it. Yeah. So we won't be really covering that here. What we're talking about in this episode is... Fun stuff. Fun stuff. How to make your ceremony really special and personal to you. And again, as much as me and Claire feel very strongly that all kinds of ceremonies are beautiful not all kinds of ceremonies can really be very personalised yeah whatever lane you pick even if you pick say if you have a registry office wedding in Ireland I don't know if you're allowed to like candles the music has to be non-religious you can't have a a prayer and then the same being if you get married in a church there'll be certain rules about the sort of music you can have there might be dress code regulations things like that so once you pick a lane whether it's humanist civil jewish catholic 
you will then fall under certain rules. And I think it's important for couples to realise that when they're making the decision. So if you are thinking of having a secular ceremony like the one that Claire had that wasn't legally binding on the day or you're thinking of having a humanist ceremony or some kind of ceremony where the rules, I suppose, are a bit more broad and you are allowed to bring elements in like rituals and readings, then you're really going to like this episode because our guest today brought some really cute ideas to the table. She sure did. One Fab Day expert wedding tips. Both here on the podcast and over on the website, we love dropping some of our knowledge and sharing our advice. Selena has plucked one of her top tips to share with us today. Claire, you know, I'm always looking out for the grooms mm-hmm. and I'm always looking out for possible wardrobe malfunctions. <laughs> yes, so we are. that is where this tip comes from. This is a very straight and simple tip. It's for grooms, members of the bridal party who happen to be wearing a shirt Anyone who's wearing a suit, bring a second shirt to your wedding, particularly if the shirt you're wearing is light coloured, because we all know loads of people are going to be coming up and giving you kisses and hugs. There's going to be makeup everywhere. Disasters can happen. And I just think there's a lot for a bride to worry about in terms of her dress getting somewhat compromised. But if you're wearing a suit, to change out the shirt is so easy yeah. and there's no reason why you shouldn't have a spare shirt in your overnight bag going Absolutely. to your wedding. You know I love outing my husband's wardrobe disasters. That's why we're all here, Claire. He had a full glass of red wine thrown over him at our wedding and didn't have a spare shirt to get into. So he spent the rest of the night looking like a bit of a mess. Please tell me the photographer had finished up by that point. They had, but like plenty of other people got photos. <laughs> Fabulous. Don't be Marco. Is that no, our new that's theme our for new the podcast? <laughs> Learn from Marco's mistake. Yeah. But this is a really simple one. If you're listening, if your other half or someone in the bridal party, a dad or a brother or a groomsman might benefit from this advice, pass it on. Really mm. simple. A spare shirt. You've got one in your wardrobe. Bring it along. The One Fab Day Wedding Podcast. For some couples, the ceremony is just the legal bit of your big day. But for others, it's a chance to make a statement about who you are, what values you hold and what kind of marriage you want to have. For you, it might be all about tradition, whether that's getting married in your local church or seeing marriage as a faith-based commitment. Some couples want their ceremony to be unique and memorable, while for many, it's simply about declaring your love out loud in a room filled with your favourite people. Just to drop some stats on you guys, in the latest wedding figures from 2017, we saw that Roman Catholic ceremonies account for about half of all weddings in Ireland. And that's down from 90% in 1996. So there's no denying that how couples choose to get married is changing. So joining us today to talk about that evolution and how to personalise your ceremony is humanist celebrant Emer Dillon. So Emer became an accredited humanist celebrant in 2018 and since then has spent her days meeting couples, helping plan out their ceremonies and crucially standing at the top of the room on the big day, guiding them and their guests through the process. So I suppose we'll start off, Emer, with asking you, how did you get involved and what attracted you to the role of celebrant? I suppose it actually goes back kind of quite a few years. And it was about 10 years ago, I first became a member of the Humanist Association of Ireland. And I realised that we needed to have a choice in the way that we celebrated ritual. I live without religion. I brought up a family without religion. And I felt when they were growing up that there really wasn't an opportunity to celebrate in a real meaningful way all of those rituals of life. And of course, while I know we're speaking about weddings, I also do baby namings, marriages 
and funerals as well to allow people to leave this world in a secular way, a celebration of life. I think, yeah, that there's a common thread here for Irish people in particular of a lot of us, myself included, go through life going through these very big celebrations and events and kind of wondering like, what's on the other side? I was raised Catholic and I went to a lot of weddings during my teen years and some of them were beautiful ceremonies, but they were all carbon copies of each other. And I always kind of wondered, you know, when was I going to get a wedding ceremony where there would be a different musical performance, something a little bit different. I did really yearn for that all along. What I say to couples is, is that it's really important to them that in my guiding them through the script and them making the choices that they make is that it reflects the couple that they are and how they want to say that on their wedding day. So in terms of rituals, it's ones that actually mean something to them and readings and music and having a selection. And when a couple gets in touch with you, what's Mm -hmm. the initial interaction? How do you sit down and kind of get started? Well, I suppose initially it's that they make a contact with me through email and then I get back to them as as to whether I am available or not. And I also would kind of give them quite a bit of detail in that email response as to what to expect from a humanist wedding. You know, that I am there, I am essentially going to guide them through words of welcome, words on love and marriage exchange of rings, the legal element, which is really important. I am a legal marriage solemnizer, so I am legally authorised to marry that couple there on that day. And also for them to get in touch with the HSE in order to get their permissions to marry. And that has to happen 12 weeks out. So just housekeeping, really. Then if we go ahead, then I arrange to meet them probably six months out from their wedding for the first of their planning meetings. If they want to meet me for a chat beforehand, I try and facilitate that as well. But some couples just are quite happy to just go ahead and book on the time. And you mentioned the legalities there. How much of an understanding are you finding couples have about the legalities of getting married in Ireland? And who exactly can legally marry a couple? There are various different categories, I suppose. It's that you have been accredited by a body or an organisation and that you are on the chief registrar's list of legal marriage solemnizers and that falls into different categories there are the civil registrars who will civilly marry you and will now actually go out to venues as well and uh, conduct a civil marriage for you there are others such as spiritualists interfaiths they are religious credentials I suppose are accreditation they have the humanists and I think one other are the only secular celebrants that are actually conducting weddings in a secular way. And I suppose if anyone is listening to this going, I'm not quite sure what humanism is. Is there like an elevator pitch for humanism there that is, you could give us? There is. And I suppose it's something that I say at my ceremony. Um, humanism is an ethical life stance that places human values at the centre of its philosophy. It's about compassion and reason. It's about taking responsibility and treating others with respect. At its core, it's about respect for others, whatever their class, creed, race or sexuality. And it is inclusive. So you can see why so many couples these days are attracted by that mantra, because I think everyone kind of feels a bit of a yearn in their heart for what you just said. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that it is. It's absolutely inclusive. Now, you know, obviously, humanism, the philosophical is based in evolution of man and Darwin and science and all of that. But I love just the human element Mm. of it and particularly when you're involved in ritual and celebration. And so is that how it differs for someone who's never been to a humanist wedding and thinks, well, the civil celebrants can come out to the same hotel now. 
what are the main differences between the two ceremonies? I suppose I am including all of the people's family and guests in the ceremony that I actually deliver, even in where I stand, where the couple sit. You know, it's not a a position of behind a table and the couple sitting on the other side. It's much more of an inclusive delivery, if you like. Words of welcome, words on love and marriage, readings, music and of course rituals as well. Rituals are a big part of it, a big yeah. part of it. There are some lovely rituals. So you mentioned rituals there. A lot of couples mightn't understand outside of a typical Catholic wedding what a ritual could possibly be. So could you explain a little bit more about the rituals you offer in your ceremonies? Well, they can be interspersed at various different points throughout the ceremony and some of them are appropriate at one particular time. And one of the ones I suppose that is particularly popular is hand fasting which is rooted in an ancient Celtic tradition. It's a pre-Christian tradition and it's from where the expression tying the knot comes from. So as the couple stand to take their vows, they clasp their hands and we drape some fabrics. They might have a meaning, a symbol, those particular ribbons or fabrics to them. They can be their favourite sports teams. I've had couples who hiked a lot, so they used their laces from their hiking boots. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be really, really nice. And sometimes, you know, if there's a seamstress in the family, somebody might like to sew that piece of fabric or maybe if a mom still isn't around, it might be her scarf or something like that or just lovely long colourful ribbons and that's that particular one I tie an eternity knot on the couple's hands and I say a few words you know which are around these are the hands of your best friend young and strong and full of love for you that are holding yours on your wedding day and then it kind of finishes up then it goes on and then it finishes up with which I think is hugely romantic is and lastly These are the hands that even when wrinkled and aged will still be reaching for yours, giving you that comfort with just a touch. Oh, I got chills, Eva. Yeah, I got the feels. It's not even a real couple. Who gave you permission to be so adorable? (laughs) I know, I I really like that. I really like it. Um, There's another piece as well, which is quite nice, which can happen at, and it's becoming more popular, is the Oathing Stone. Oh, oh. Um, we haven't seen much of that one. No. No. And these are ones that I particularly like. The Oathing Stone is you're out for a walk and you're on your favourite beach or you're up the mountains and you find a stone and you say, OK, that's really nice. And you pick it up and you run it under the tap and you might even put a bit of almond oil on it. You might even engrave it with the date of your wedding. And as you're about to take your vows, you clasp the stone together again in your joint hands and set in stone, cast in stone. Oh, that is lovely. where it comes from. Again, the kind of myth being that saying vows or making promises close to water or close to stones or rocks are more powerful. And I've even heard where people will actually provide all of their guests with this very small stone themselves. And they pick up a stone as they go into the ceremony room and they hold that stone in their hands as well while the That's couple lovely. take their vows. That's so sweet. God, the ancient Celts were great for yeah, ritual, they? weren't they? <laughs> yeah, I like them. Yeah, because they're kind of rooted and hugely romantic. Another one that I love and I really do, I try and encourage people, if it's a couple that are doing it, the salt covenant as opposed to the sand pouring. The salt covenant is where you will take two types of salt and you blend them together. 
and you might have maybe pink Himalayan mountain salt or sea salt from the Atlantic. Or if you've been a traveller, you might have salt from Australia or Brazil or Mexico and you blend that then with your Irish salt. And again, there's some nice words to go with that is, you know, salt has some qualities worth noting. It's a very good preservative. You should remember that your marriage should be preserved. Mm. Mm. Salt adds flavour. We all need a little spice in our lives. (laughs) And it goes on. But I also recommend you take it home and you use it as your cooking salt, your marriage salt. So it's beside the hob. You put it into your pasta water or into your rice water. And when it's all gone and one or the other of you is in the supermarket, buy two packs of salt. And that night when you're having dinner, join the salt together as well. It's a nice little reminder of what your marriage uh, is about. That's so sweet. I love the idea that a ritual can go on and on and on throughout your marriage. It's not just for the day itself. I like that too. I like that too. And I suppose because I'm probably quite a bit of a foodie myself and a keen cook. So I love the idea that it would actually happen around the table and around the food. And it's something that you take away from your ceremony with you. Yeah, and it has a practical use. Mm. And you mentioned there about sand ceremonies, Mm -hmm. which I know are quite popular with couples who already have kids or blended families. How do those work? Really, again, it's, you know, each child and the couple that are getting married have a different coloured sand. Now, sometimes these sands can be got from craft shops, you know, coloured sand. And it's really nice if one of the parents can also even kind of pair the colour with the personality of the child. I had a mum who did that. There was five children in the family and each of them, she had just their personalities absolutely and one of her her children was special needs and it was white was the colour that she chose and I just thought that was so appropriate for this beautiful young man so you can have any sort of containers at all little kilner jars and then one larger container and each member of the family pours the sand in I always like one of the parents to be on the bottom and one of them to be on the top (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't be the first innuendo we've made on this show (laughs) Um, and the idea being that one parent will pour in the sand first and then I'd invite each child up by name and they pour in their favourite colour and then the other parent then puts their sand in on top and it creates a lovely pattern and design. And I always say to the children then, you know, there's no escaping your parents now. There you are, you're sandwiched in between them. And again, there's some nice words that go with that. And of course, this is it. Each character, each person retains their own individuality within the new family unit. But it's also blended. It can't be separated. This is the colours of your new family. Mm, and that's another one that you can keep you can. in your home afterwards. You mm-hmm. I often wonder about rituals in that if I dreamed up a ritual of my own, could I come to you with it and suggest it or do they have to be approved by the Humanist Society? No, not at all. No, 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 no. no. This is your wedding. It's symbolism, this is, really. This is your wedding ceremony and really you have control. Yeah. And I am there to facilitate you in order and to stimulate some of your creativity. If, and if you have that yourself, that's great for me. If not, I have those resources for you. I give you all of the material and you can then choose and select as a couple how you want to reflect yourselves within your ceremony. And don't choose anything just because you saw it done at somebody else's. You have to be comfortable carrying out that ritual. You know, if you're not comfortable there having your hands tied and it just feels a bit 
don't use it. There's always going to be something else that will actually sit better with you. Yeah, I do love that. Even just from the weddings we feature on the site, seeing that couples are so much more deliberate. Every decision they make is thought out and meaningful and feels authentic. And that's just so nice to see because there is nothing worse than standing up there and feeling a bit silly on your own wedding day. No one wants that. And that's what I would say to couples when I'm taking them through the script and when I'm describing the rituals, as I've described them to you here today. And I say, don't if it doesn't sit with you because you can look at their expressions on their faces and you can look at the way they look at each other when I describe it and <laughs> some of them are just turning their eyes up to heaven <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I think anyone like listening to this and listening to you describe the rituals will probably know instantly whether one of them appeals to them or not I'd mm-hmm. say a lot of mm-hmm. times it is a gut reaction whether that particular symbolism resonates with you or not yes so that's a really important takeaway for couples And how much of a difference does the space make, the room that they choose or the garden they choose and maybe the decorations or the candles, things like that? It does make quite a difference at times. Sometimes the space can be quite tight, you know, in order to actually facilitate readers and standing back and also making sure that I stay out of the way of photographers, videographers, stepped (laughs) stepped to the side, you know, when they have their first kiss, I swoop off to the side to make sure that my head is not in the middle of their first kiss oh, photo. I've seen so many and photos debate how much of a legend Emer is for considering yeah, yeah. this because you see a lot of those photographs, I won't say ruined, but no. slightly upset by, you yeah. know, the side of someone's head. Mm. And that's one of those photos that you really want your photographer to get right. Yeah. And they can't if there's you know, it, or if you say, like you said, if it's a really crowded room and there's lots of shuffling happening in the background. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so that's it. So I, I suppose it's about stage management as well, deciding where the table is going to be positioned and the ritual elements so that I can actually get them handy enough and where the couple are. And also, I also make sure, and you know, that I have them centred nicely in an aisle when they stand for their vows to facilitate the photographer as well. I have a bit of an aesthetic going on there as well. (laughs) I love it. But some of the spaces can be quite tight. I was in a venue recently and it was lovely, but it was quite small. In error, they had lit the fire that morning. Whoever was setting up the room for the day lit the fire and the room was extremely tight and I had to stand with my back to the fireplace. (gasps) And when I say... I really was like there was no exaggeration. I was so close to the fire. We had thought about actually trying to put it out, but it would have smoked up the room. You know, it would have started to smell the room. So we just had to kind of let it burn out. But there was these big half tree trunks <laughs> sitting oh on this God. fire. And the couple themselves were actually they were really they were warm too. everybody was really warm. <laughs> I feel like if there was an Oscar for celebrants, that would be that would earn you a nomination. I can't even imagine how hard it must have been to try and navigate everything. And of course, stay in the moment as well, because that's a huge part of your job. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be anything if I wasn't able to go there with the couple and to facilitate them in that really kind of important part. And to some couples, the ceremony really is central. And they'll say that to you when you meet them. They'll say, you know, that this is what it's all about, is the ceremony. It really is about, we would not be having the party afterwards, the dinner, the, this, if it wasn't for the fact. And they want that to actually have a sense of gravitas to it as well. And some other couples, it's not about that. It, it can be about something else. And that's fine. 
Mm. You know, it's about the whole day, the day as a whole. But some couples like to just kind of pinpoint the ceremony itself. Do you find couples often come to you and say, oh, I'm a bit nervous about the ceremony? The planning meeting actually is probably nearly my favourite part because I usually say to people as well, is, is you know, when they sit down, I say, you know, how are the plans going? And I said, well, it's going to feel very real after this meeting. Yeah, <laughs> And you course. can see them because I'm actually taking them through the words that they're going to be saying, how it is. And I'm kind of drawing the map for them of their kind of day. And you can see that really it is. And it can be quite emotional as well for them because it is. It's the real kind of and it's just the three of us, you know, at that meeting. And it's very nice. Do you find that couples are a bit nervous when they come to you or is there any kind of tips of advice that you can ever give to them if they are feeling a bit like sketch about the idea of getting up in front of their whole body of friends and family as much as that's a lovely thing it could be daunting for some people I will always say to them and and sometimes they're quite surprised they can be nervous coming to the meeting but they don't realise actually how much they feel sometimes that they're going to have to actually write the whole script themselves Mm. and when they realise that there's absolutely a framework and a skeleton there a template for them to work from and that they can take ownership from with it in as much or as little as they want um, so that that's a big relief you can see them looking at each other in the planning meeting and going oh I thought we were going to have to do a lot more than this and I thought we were going to have to mm-hmm. but on the day if it's a heterosexual couple I love to watch the groom I really do I have to say I watch the groom as the bride walks up the aisle I think that's really nice. Yeah. You to watch doing, his expression. Hmm? We were doing that in the office before we came down here. We were watching like that specific moment in a wedding video. And mm. I'll never not want to watch that and see the look on the groom's face. Yes. Yeah, it is yeah. a really special thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I suppose what we should say as well is there are good nerves. Nerves aren't necessarily a bad thing. No. Or something to be avoided or something yeah. you can avoid. Well, within the ceremony itself, I suppose there's very little for the couple to actually say. There's the legal elements, which are the first and the second declaration, which have to be questions that I ask that have to be answered in a particular form. And other than that, it is a kind of it's a repeat after me. If they decide to do personal vows as well, that's up to them that they will do personal vows and they would read out personal vows to each other. In general, I don't think Irish couples do. I think they're kind of say they've got speeches and, you know, they'll kind of keep it for that. But some do. I think it's a thing that you really want to do is personal Mm -hmm. vows or it's not a niff or but or maybe we'll see. It's yes, we're doing personal vows or no, we won't be doing personal vows. Sure. When you mention nerves and things like that, I know a lot of couples have said to us they're nervous about telling their often parents but sometimes extended family that they're not doing the church thing I know. <laughs> I know. I and know. have you found that with your couples and how do you advise them or do you advise them I think less and less I'm a relatively newly accredited celebrant as, as I said just May 2018 um, but speaking to some of my colleagues who have been doing this for a number of years they would have run into yes obviously there would have been parents that would have been bitterly disappointed really bitterly disappointed that their children weren't getting married in the church. I think less and less now and the couples that I would meet meeting. Occasionally I will get people will say to me, look, my um, ex is quite religious and, you know, they're not necessarily happy. And I would probably take a note of that. And I would always take the names of 
the people that are going to be in the front row anyway and I would go and introduce myself to them before the ceremony actually starts as they kind of filter in and so many times people have come up and maybe aunts or uncles that have never been to a humanist wedding and they're the people more that come up to me and say wow that was just gorgeous. I've never been to one of those before. That was just lovely. Yeah, I found that. I had a friend who's actually Imre's son <laughs> um, <laughs> officiate my ceremony and it was, we did the legal bit a few days previously. And the people that I was more nervous about, like certain aunts and things that I thought, oh, I don't know how they're going to react, were actually beyond lovely about it and came up and said they were really surprised and they'd really enjoyed it and mm-hmm. it was so different for them. And and that was really nice and definitely put me at ease, I think, afterwards. Yeah. And, and as I said, when I think about it now, the guests that are the same age as the couple or whatever they might be, they've been to humanist weddings before. So they're oh, that's really nice. Thanks very much. That was lovely. But it's actually people coming up and actually shaking my hand, you know, the aunt or the uncle or the grandmother coming up and saying really genuinely how much they enjoyed it and how good it felt for them to be part of that ceremony. Mm. We actually got a question in that maybe you can help us answer from a listener. I think it's actually a really lovely question. They asked, when you're having a secular ceremony and you have religious relatives attending, is there any particular thing you can do to show respect to the religious people in the congregation with, I suppose, your words on the day? Well, I suppose as I said when I was describing humanism, it is inclusive, regardless of whether you're part of that philosophy or religious you're all very welcome here. So I mention the fact, I acknowledge the fact that in the room there may be people that are religious and they are still absolutely. It's all part of the community and humanity. Um, Sometimes I would say that the unity candle, which is another ritual, is probably the most religious one that we would have. I think it's one that's actually carried out in the church Mm -hmm. all the time, to the best of my knowledge. I think you have to have a unity candle, Mm -hmm. I think. And I would often say then, if it was, you know, a parent, I might say, you know, would you like to put in the unity candle? Because that can feel, lighting a candle can actually feel like a spiritual or a religious experience. If somebody wanted perhaps a religious reading, I might suggest that maybe that person might like to say grace at the meal. Yeah. Because there really isn't so much space for it in my ceremony. I understand that in a secular ceremony, you can't suddenly have a prayer thrown in. That would be very (laughs) confusing for all concerned. Yes. And and, and at the same time, you know, people have said to me, well, you know, if you're saying the word inclusive, well, then why are you not actually permitting a reading from some passage in the Bible? You have to say, I'm sorry, but we can't do that. No. That's not (laughs) what this humanist celebration (laughs) is is about. Unfortunately. Um, Yeah. Obviously, you've seen all sorts of ceremonies over Mm. the last few months. Uh, when it comes to music, are there certain things that work really well, things that don't work that you've seen from, from the ceremonies you've worked on? I suppose I'd have to say live music would be my preference mm-hmm. because for me, from actually, you know, managing, it's it's about being able to make eye contact with the musician to actually take it down. Recorded music, you really do need to make sure that you have somebody who's quite competent there to actually operate that system. Somebody might say, well, you know, my cousin has, I'm sure there's another word for a boom box these days, <laughs> but I'm just showing my age now and, you know, has a really good Spotify playlist. If they just think they're just going to hit it, it, it doesn't create the right atmosphere. Yeah. I always say you have to make sure that the sound systems within your venue are able to actually 
resonate some music for you if it's not live music and that it can be very important. To some couples, it's not important. Music is not important. But to others, music is really central. And I'll say, oh, well, look, you know, I would say in the ceremony that there's space for three pieces of music. Entrance, while signing the paperwork, the register, and exit. But if there's live musicians, let's put in more music. Yeah, let's sure, make the, the most of it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And I wanted to ask about clothing. <laughs> and I know you can't answer for every celebrant in the universe, but you're a very stylish lady, Emer. The listeners can't tell, but you are. <laughs> you are. Do you have a uniform? Is that something you ever discuss with the couples or the couples ever ask about? What are you going to wear? No, they've never asked me, actually. No, they've never asked me what I'm going to wear. And um, Helen McAlinden seems to be my best friend at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your designer, you know. She has, yeah, or just a wonderful kind of wide-legged culotte type. Mm-hmm. I have a great pair of gold shoes that have a great heel and they're my kind of my celebranting shoes I call <laughs> them. <laughs> and then, you know, I do a solid palette. Mm-hmm. I don't use passion. Okay. And I keep my colours kind of quite neutral. Very um, considerate. So, yes, it would be. And my jewellery to a minimum, my nails would always be an under stated shade sure. um, for hand fasting just in case anybody was you know that I wasn't wearing I love an owl blue nail polish but <laughs> <laughs> there's a time and a place but there, there is, is a time and a place but no I would be so, that bride being like I don't want to like micromanage the celebrant's outfit but I've put a lot of effort into the aesthetics of the day so it's really good that you say that you have mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. a consideration yes, for yeah. to try to be uh, polished yeah. yet neutral Yes, I have navy um, jacket and culotte style with the gold shoes that I wear. And every time I seem to wear it, the bridesmaids seem to be in navy as well, which oh. actually works quite well. Perfect. So you know, I, go out, I go out to greet the bride beforehand and then there are the brides. Well, I got the memo. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. What tips do you have for choosing a celebrant? Gosh, I suppose think about really what you want your ceremony to be like. And if you're if you're kind of, I don't really know whether I want to go with a church or I don't really go and I do feel that I am a bit religious, those people are going to be upset. You're probably better off to kind of, you know, if you're going to be uncomfortable having humanist ceremony, you're probably better off to step away and maybe go somewhere else and maybe consider the church because it needs to sit comfortably with you. Mm. When you meet a celebrant for the first time, are there things that you should do to work out if you have the right rapport, if they're the right person to lead your ceremony on the day? I suppose it's difficult for me to say because I'm that celebrant. No, it's not no, it's not that I'm actually perfect. It's that I'm doing my utmost to ensure that that couple feel that if they actually book me, they're in safe hands. Mm. And that's often what I will say to them as well. Sometimes I find that couples that want to see me before actually making a booking tend to be couples that have not been to a humanist wedding before. Mm. Others have been. They know the format and they know generally kind of what they're looking for. I find sometimes people will actually on the humanist website will choose me given my past career or my studies or whatever it might be, there was something there that they might think that, oh, gosh, OK. So I find that people have said, I'm interested in art, I'm an art historian. And people will say, oh, that's what clicked with me. So it can be a personality thing, really, that you feel that you'll gel well and 
that you are in safe hands, I guess, is the tip. It's in safe companies. hands. And, and also the fact that I'm a professional, you know, that I am actually going to be able to kind of take you on this journey mm. and that you're going to be really, really happy. Yeah, the I'm result. Sure that's a huge reassurance for couples. As you say, when you go into it, if you think you have to build the whole thing yourself, that is incredibly mm. daunting. And mm. to know you're buying a service as well as recruiting a person to help you on the day is very helpful. Emer, you've been a delight. Oh, listen, it's been a delight. Thank you Thank both you. very much. It's lovely to sit here and, yes, cross two friendly faces. <laughs> you've made me really want to go to a ceremony now and I have to wait until June. June is the next one. Oh, June is the next one. Yep. Okay, right. Am I conducting uh, I'm not a ask, I'm not going to ask you to conduct a ceremony for our amusement here. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming in to us. It was my pleasure. If anyone is listening at home, uh, Emer has her own website, emerdillon.com, E-M-E-R, dillon.com, where you can find everything you need to know about Emer. One fab day, listener dilemmas. Each week on the podcast, we endeavour to solve one of your wedding planning quandaries and this episode is no different. So Claire has chosen today's dilemma and I believe this listener is having an issue with her mam. Am I right? She is. She wrote in and said, I am getting married in the summer next year. I am first to get married in my family. I'm really excited and already organising bands, photographers, going dress shopping next month. She sounds very organised. My dilemma is that my mother doesn't seem interested. I don't live at home and haven't for a number of years. And when I call her for the chat, she never asks me about it unless I bring it up. She loves my future husband, by the way, so I know it's nothing like that. But it gets me down a bit as I would love her to be just as excited as me. On the other hand, my fiancé's mother is always interested in her plans and is constantly asking about it. So at least I have that. But I wish my own mother could be more interested. Any advice? So there's obviously an issue at play here. It's just what is the issue? I can easily see it being a question of the mum not wanting to butt in too much and maybe being overcautious in that regard. There's definitely been so much chatter over recent years of like the mum barging her way into the wedding plans. So I think that's to the point now where loads of mums are terrified of saying anything in case they're getting in the way and they want you to just have the day you want and not feel obliged to do anything or have it in a certain way for them. And this person who wrote in didn't say whether or not like they'd had a discussion with their mom about it. Maybe she's waiting for you to ask her if you haven't already. Maybe she's waiting for an invitation to a dress fitting or a food tasting or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe she really doesn't want to overstep the mark and that's what's kind of causing this disconnect. So I do think Try and get her involved in in a very practical sense, in a physical way. And then if not, maybe do ask her straight out, like, oh, are you excited mm. about the wedding? It doesn't have to be in a confrontational way, but just ask her, is she excited about the wedding? And if she doesn't seem fussed, say, oh, it's just like, I really want you to be as excited as I am and I really want you to be involved and just be very candid with her about it. I think, yeah, start with maybe coming up with a little job that you could give her or she could work on with you and then if she still doesn't really seem to be enthused maybe it's time for a chat and you can have it be a casual chat as you said it doesn't need to be an intervention or anything but maybe just say oh I'm really hoping that everyone is going to get on board with the wedding and be as excited as I am and you know see what her response is. Yeah for some moms it's something really genuine like they're really nervous about having their photo taken or they're really nervous about going shopping for their outfit or having to make a speech or being in front of the room top, sitting at a top table things like that that are real genuine concerns so it might be something like that and she's 
too worried to bring it up with you in case it stresses you out. So and give her a, a space to, to raise that. It's a very emotional time for a mom. Like even if she is, as you said, totally in love with your future spouse, there are a lot of emotions at play. So it might be something like that. She's worried she's going to be too emotional or she's feeling a bit like life has passed so quickly and her daughter's suddenly getting married. So definitely it's worth having a gentle chat with her. Hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. Take the Emily. Take the Rachel. Take the Rachel. Step away from the spreadsheets. Each week on the podcast, we like to set you some homework that has absolutely nothing to do with your wedding. And this week, it's Selena's turn to recommend a non-wedding related activity. I like this one because it happens in a lot of cities around the world. It is the One City, One Book initiative which is where the council from a city pick a book for a specific year and organise loads of events around it. So for me at the minute in Dublin where I live, it's Edna O'Brien's The Country Girls, which is a book that I heard a lot about growing up um, because it was banned, because it was scandalous, because there was sexual activity involved in the book. Now, I haven't got to the sexual activity yet, so I'm very (laughs) excited. Um, But uh, it was a book I'd heard so much about And what's so nice about reading a book for the first time during One City, One Book is that there are loads of events planned around it. So theatrical productions, panel discussions, talks, if it's ever been adapted, they'll put on screenings, cinema screenings. And you get to go to book club style events where you get to discuss the book with other people. That's really nice. It's a really nice way to read, I think. And you can strike up a conversation with someone on the Lewis who's also reading the same book. Exactly, because I have seen a lot of people actually reading the book this year. Yeah. It's uh, a really good one if, like me, you're not great at the reading. It kind of gives you a deadline as well. Like Mm. if you know at the end of April or May or whatever, I've booked tickets to this discussion of the book and you don't want to spoiler it for yourself. It will really give you the boost you need to finish the book. That's a nice one. The One Fab Date Wedding Podcast. That's it for this week. We hope we've inspired you all to get a bit more creative with your ceremony choices, whether you're saying I do in your local parish church or getting hitched just the two of you on the side of a cliff somewhere. And if you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And while you're at it, tell all your friends to listen to. You can keep in touch with us between episodes. We're at One Fab Day on all major social platforms. And you can email us at hello at onefabday.com and get all the latest tips, planning guides, playlists and style ideas over on onefabday.com. The One Fab Day Wedding Podcast.